begin today asking a question of the guys. I'm not sure this would happen as much to the ladies, but so I'm going to ask you guys, have you got in trouble for a joke that you thought of in your head that you never spoke out loud, but maybe maybe it was your mother, maybe it was your wife looked at you and go, and all of a sudden you got in trouble for something that you did not even do. You thought it. Mick, that was meant to be an inside voice, inside voice there. So, so Mick's already in trouble because he's actually put it into reality. So, but there are times I know I've got in trouble. Something's happened, and my wife has seen the cogs turning. Maybe it's steam coming off my head because the cogs are turning, and she goes, "Don't you say anything." And I've gone, "I've just got in trouble for something I didn't even do yet." There was, I'm, and, uh, and I'm going, wait a second, that's not right. That's not fair. Um, and sometimes you get in trouble for things that you, you should have done, but you haven't had a chance to do yet as well. I'm going, so there's, there's, there's times when we get in trouble for the thoughts that haven't become reality. What makes it even worse, though, is that where the passage begins today and goes on for a few other verses up to verse 37 Jesus talks about exactly the same thing. He is saying that what goes on in your head will be the thing that condemns you. And then the passage that Ross has shared talked about this idea of if you are angry, then you are guilty of murder. Anyone been angry this week? <laughs> wow. Mick is the ultimate sinner today. Like um, he's he's owning it. But but the thing is, like sometimes our anger in our mind, we we that hate that we have against that person. Jesus says it's like you're murdering them. And all of a sudden, in this passage, Jesus talks about the, the bars here. We go, yeah, I can I can be angry at that person. I can keep it to myself. I can mutter and groan and all that stuff. But I'm never going to act on it. And Jesus goes, well, if you do that, it's like you're doing this. And you're going, how am I meant to follow after God? Why you got that thought in your head? I want to talk about um, anyone here a, a like watching sports? Anyone a sport watcher? The part, of, part of with watching with sports, anyone here an expert when they're watching sport? So you're watching, you're watching them on TV and go, why didn't you do this? Or run faster, or just tackle the guy, or or you're doing it all wrong. And and we're sitting there watching these professionals on TV make mistakes that are so obvious to us. But then the game finishes, or the Olympic the Olympic event finishes, or whatever sport we're watching finishes, and we go, oh, as we put the remote down and try and stand up out of the chair. Like we, we kind of have this hypocritical view on what it is to, to play sports where we are quick to criticize and condemn these professional sports stars who make a mistake that we would have been all over and yet hopping out of the chair seems difficult. Where like if you put us in the middle of the field, like in our minds we are a superstar and yet as soon as they take off running from the line, we're going... I can't get up off the ground. I'm I'm stuck here forever. Like, 
we, we, we're a bit hypocritical when it comes to that. And, and so, again, apply it to the life and, and the way that God has for us. This idea of hypocrisy plays itself out a little bit for us because all of a sudden we think we can put on a shell of goodness or self-righteousness and go, this is who I am. And we can look at other people and going, wow. They are so failing the way that God wants them to go. They are, oh, they're not, they're not even a second-class Christian. They're probably fourth or fifth-class Christian. It's going to be years before they get to someone of my level. And those thoughts that are going through our mind are all getting registered on, the, on, on Jesus' diary. Today, Keith was very proud. Keith was very judgmental. Keith actually did also this, and I'm not going to say what that is because I'm, all of a sudden all this stuff is Jesus is fully aware of. And because Jesus says the way, the, to keep the way, it is not just this practical following rules that make us look good to everyone else. It is being truly honest before God and letting God come and change this and change this and letting us walk and keep the way. And so all of a sudden, again, sometimes when you read this passage in Matthew, the bar seems so high, I've just got to try harder. No, no, it is not about trying harder at all. It is about giving up more. It is about surrendering to God's equipping and empowering for your life and letting him do the work to change you inside and out. If you leave today and go, I'm just going to go try and do better, you've missed the point because that's not what we're going to be talking about today. Yes, we need to be faithful in following after God, but we need to recognize that the work that needs to be done in our life can only be done by God. We are not coming here today to impress God with our goodness. We are coming here today requesting God's power because of our sinfulness. That is what needs to happen in our lives. Um, okay, so that wasn't even a part of the sermon, so let's get to the sermon now. Um, and, and jump into that. Basically, as I'm just going to move this one over here, the passage that um, Ross read out for us, it actually goes for a number of verses. And to begin with, it actually has, it talks about being angry and how anger is actually the same level as murder. Okay, that's a big step up. But then the next part it talks on is it talks about our desires. And it says, what you think about with your desires, it's like you've done it. And again, that can be quite a big condemnation for a lot of us because we get into the position where I've thought some stuff. I've wanted stuff that's not mine. I've, I've wanted to do ill against people. I've wanted stuff that is not a, a good desire to have. And all of a sudden, you get to the point where um, God... He's aware of those things and it becomes one of these things that we are holding back from, from living that full life that God wants for us. And, and in that, what we find is, um, and, and even more so because we get to the point where it's not just our anger, it's not just our desires, it's God even raises the expectation on divorce. 
because again, Jesus is teaching very directly on this. And, and again, in talking to an issue that was in society at the time where men would just go, here is a certificate of divorce. Now, even in that, when you get a certificate, you think there's some kind of achievement. You've passed something, you've won something. Here was a certificate of divorce saying, I no longer want you. And it was a way of men getting rid of their wives very easily. And so Jesus said, well, that's, that's not okay. And he raises the bar on that because, again, the commitment is that you want to be with someone for the rest of your life and to, to do that. And so he, he talks about that. He doesn't want divorce to be some easy thing that happens in our world. Just because he allows it doesn't think mean that he thinks it is always the best thing to do. And then he looks at the things that we promise. And he finishes off this passage in, in around verse 37 saying like, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And again, that can be something that we, we, we say yes to God about many things. So if even our oath to God, our commitment to God, our promise to God can be one of those things that, do you know what? It is a big failure over and over and again with my relationship with God. I've said, yes, God, I will follow you. Yes, God, I will follow you to the end of my life. Yes, God, I will commit this to you. And all of a sudden, basically, I will fail in doing that. In all this, we, we see we need to understand how this teaching becomes something that we need to understand today. So I want to sort of set up the frame with this, this frame this uh, message, say, with that passage and how God has sort of raised the bar of how we live because it's about our hearts and our minds and how we think and how we live. And so I want to look at a few different things of how important this is for us to keep the way of God. Well, first of all, we need to fight the good fight. Um, and it comes from a, a passage in, in 1 Timothy 6.12, which says, Fight the good fight of, of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This encourages Christians to remain steadfast and strong in their faith despite any challenges um, or persecution they may face. It is a call to persevere in the living out of one's faith and to hold fast to the eternal life that has been promised to believers, to those who have accepted Jesus coming in and doing that work in your life. In our passage from Matthew, we see that many of the issues stem from the heart, the mind, and the mouth. Anger is often a heart issue. Adultery and divorce also stem from the heart, but have a lot to do with what we allow to live in our lives. Making oaths or promises is a matter of the heart and mind and the mouth. And what we say matters. And in the New Testament, we see in the book of James, the tongue also is a, world, is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All that to say, if we were to fight the good fight of faith and keep the way of Christ, we must be mindful of our hearts, of our minds, and our mouths. In Matthew 25, 21 to 27, Jesus helps us to see it is not just a matter of following the rules, it is a matter of keeping a vigilant watch over our hearts, minds, and mouths, and motives. Now, 
this is where Jesus comes in in a big way because some of us can't even see the way that we think is contrary to God. Why? Because we actually compare ourselves with other fallen people. We look around and go, wow, that Christian is not a good person and I'm better than them. And then we go, and that non-Christian, wow, wow, I look so good compared to them. And then, oh, that evil, filthy, murderer, rapist, thief, bank robber, whatever else, I'm going, oh, I am so far ahead of them. And so all of a sudden, we compare ourselves to people that need more of Jesus. And as we compare ourselves, what we do, we actually think, do you know what? I am doing a great job. And as soon as I take control of the change that is happening in my life, I start doing a worse job. Why? Because I need Jesus to do what only he can do in my life. I need him to take a hold of my heart. I need him to take a hold of my mind. I need him to guide my footsteps. I need him to guide my mouth. I need him to guide my, my, my give my strength, give me strength to face what I need to face. And so we have got to be willing to fight the good fight to keep the way of Christ. And sometimes for that, for us, it's what it's doing is to prevent those things coming into our lives that are going to take us away from what God is already doing. So we can press on through every trial and adversity. That is the heart of what Jesus is saying in this passage. Secondly, we've got to keep pressing on. I remember, um, I didn't actually watch it, but I, I heard the story. I used to work in a youth shelter many, many years ago and had this one boy. He, he was a really kind-hearted boy. Um, some of the kids we worked with were quite troubled. And he just wanted to be with his family. Um, but there were some issues there. And, and so he came and stayed with us. And he just was such, he would help out. He'd join in with different things. And um, he started getting involved in some sports. And again, this kind of shows his nature and, and what his lifestyle had been like. He, he was worried if he went to basketball training and played a game of basketball on a, on a Wednesday night that, when he came home, because we had a set dinner time each each night, it was like I'm not going to be out of dinner. And so he was he was really worried one night. And we talked to him and he goes, "Hey, what's the matter, mate?" He goes, "I'm going to miss out on dinner tomorrow night because I won't be here at 5:30 when we have dinner, mate. We will save you some." But anyway, one thing he did, he was starting to get more involved in sports and he was a year older. And so when he came to run the race for his school, there's only two kids racing in the 800 meters. Now, he was a tall kid, probably taller than me, even at when he was like 12. So he was a very tall kid. And so I was told about the race that night, both by one of the workers and by him. And so that pretty much overlapped. And so what happened, he started the race. And when you run a race, some of us go, I'm going to win from the start. And so we raced ahead. And that's what happened. He raced ahead. The other guy in the race fell behind. He didn't quite lapping, but it was coming to that point. And so, uh, and I'm not sure, I think the, the oval was about 200 metres. And so it was about four laps of the oval he needed to do. First lap, way ahead. Second lap, still way ahead. Halfway through that third lap, all the energy in the legs left him. And it, 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 it basically, I thought it looked like he stopped. And so he was struggling, kept on going bit by bit by bit. And the other guy just slow and steady kind of passed him and, and finished the race. And, but he came home and we celebrated the fact he got second and we talked about maybe conserving some energy like next time. Sometimes in life, it can be hard to keep pressing on because, again, we feel like we have run out of everything we've got. 
I can relate to that. I can relate to people sharing me stories like that and going, I don't know what I can do next. And and do you know what? It makes perfect sense to me though because Jesus has made it clear that we can't do things without his strength. And so I think this about some other people going, why don't you just trust and get Jesus' strength? And then I don't know why I don't apply that same rule to myself. When, when life is so hard, why am I not relying on this strength that God promises to give me? Strength that will fill my heart and fill my, my soul and, and enable me to move through those things. We need to keep pressing on. And we actually see the verse it comes from in Philippians. Um, I think it's Philippians 3, 10 to 12. I want to know Christ. Okay, so that's where Paul begins this passage. I want to know Christ. Yes, that is the answer. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Okay, now we start to struggle with the verse a bit because we went, you want to know Christ? I want to know the power of his resurrection. Yes, and I want to join with him in his sufferings. Not so much. Oh, I don't, that's not what I want. I want all the victory stuff. Like I want provision. I I want so much money that I I can't give it all away. I want so much energy that I don't know what to do with it. I want so much good stuff in my life. And But again, Jesus says, in this life, you will know troubles because of me. So get with the program, trust in me, walk with me. Anyway, so we keep going in this verse. Um, in verse 11, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Jesus looks at our lives and he grabs a hold of us and says, I've got a purpose for you and I want to put all this stuff into your life. I want to be part of your life. I want to guide you. And so that you can then make your goal to press on and grab life as I have given it to you. Again, Jesus is central to all of this. And so we need to keep pressing on. We need to grab a hold of the life that God wants for us. Paul is saying, yes, he wants to know Christ more deeply and intimately, but also it's a journey and a process. Paul says, I haven't made it yet. Now, if someone like Paul is saying, I haven't made it yet, I don't think I can make the claim that I have. And probably I don't think any of you can make that same claim. Not being rough on you or anything like that. I'm just saying Paul walked pretty closely with God and basically saw it as his life journey to keep pressing on, to keep going forward, to keep keeping the way of Jesus. He says, I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He pushes through the trials and adversities. He weathers the storms and sometimes literally weathers storms. And he continues in his pursuit of Jesus. That would be an awesome thing on your, your gravestone. Pursuer of Jesus. Wouldn't, wouldn't it? Like you, you, people actually went, you know what? That guy, that, that lady, they were following after Jesus with all they had and, and 
they were finding more of God each day. They were a pursuer of Jesus. The thing is that the teachings from Matthew 5 can be difficult for some of us. Some of the things that Jesus says sound impossible. Making friends of enemies, curbing anger, gouging out your eye if it leads you to sin. Simple say yes, simply saying yes or no. Many commentators on the scripture in this passage believe Jesus is making statements to point out our need for help. These aren't things that people can typically do on their own, which is why they seem impossible. We need a saviour. We need redemption. We need healing. and We need Jesus. This is the reason we press on. He is the reason we fight the good fight of faith, even when it seems ridiculous to everyone around us. He is the reason we keep watch over our hearts and our minds, our mouths and our motives. He is the reason for it all. And guess what? He is worth it. So we need to fight the good fight. We need to keep pressing on and we need to do it because it's all for Jesus. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was sharing these truths, the people listening didn't know yet who exactly Jesus was. They didn't know. There may have been some suspicion and speculation about this miracle-working rabbi from Nazareth, but the full extent of his identity was yet to be revealed. And you know what? If Jesus stood up there, even after he taught all these amazing things, all these amazing miracles, saying, hey, guys, in two and a half years, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to come back and raised from the dead, and I'm going to be your saviour and lead to forgiveness of sins. I don't think many people in that crowd would have went, yeah, oh, they would have went, okay, that guy spent too much time in the sun. Jesus hadn't shown all of himself yet. Jesus actually had withheld part of who he was. But the thing is, we know exactly who Jesus was and is. We know he came to trade his life for ours. We know that all things are possible through him. We know that he is with us always, even to the end of the age. And apart from him, we can do nothing. I've been praying a lot this year for things only God can do. And here is the book of John saying, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. You want to walk in the way? You can't do it without Jesus. You want to be have the fruit of the Spirit in your life? You can't do it without Jesus. You want to be more loving? You can't do it without Jesus. You want to sort of let God sanctify you and make you holy? You can't do it without Jesus. It is because of him that we have the power to do the impossible things that are mentioned in Matthew 25, 21 to 37. We can keep the way of Christ, not in our own power, but his power. He is the way and he provides the way. This reality helps us to understand why our section ends with this statement. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. We are to live as people of integrity. Let, be, let us be people of our word who keep our word and who honour the word. The yoke of Jesus may be easy, his burden light, but the path of being made holy, it can be a difficult one. I think part of that is because we get it mixed up. There have been probably years of my life where I've gone, I need to do better myself to be holy. 
I'm going to get up early. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to do more good things. I'm going to really be precise with the giving of my tithe. I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to watch what I say. I'm going to be trying to be forgiving. I'm, I'm going to keep all those bad thoughts in my head, maybe at the back of my head at least, and maybe get rid of some of them. If I just do better, I can be holy. And I've come to realize I can't be holy without Jesus. I can't be holy without his spirit coming into my life and taking over all areas and me surrendering them to him and saying, God, do what you want. And so holiness can be difficult because I'm trying to do it without God. And so we need to keep the way, but the way that we keep the way is accepting Jesus' guidance, presence, power. The list goes on for ages in this area. We, we've got to trust the process of salvation and sanctification. These instructions that we read in Matthew, some of us go, it's too hard. Or maybe we say, why would a good God make it impossible for us to follow him? And yes, the teachings do look hard when you just look at their face value. They are difficult, but there is always hope. As I said earlier, Jesus helps us to see that it's not just a matter of following rules, but it's a matter of keeping vigilant watch over our hearts, minds, souls, mouths, and motives. After all, what does it matter if your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, but your heart is wicked and evil? What does it matter if you gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? We, we've got to be willing to fight the good fight to keep the way of Christ and to press on through every trial and adversity. That's the heart of what Jesus is saying in this message and that's what people listening to him needed to hear. So this week, as you surrender more to Jesus, as you let him take over more of your life, Ask yourself these questions. Do I love my neighbor? Do I care for them? Am I harboring anger towards others in my heart and mind? I can't get past that one. I know I've got anger in my life. Have I been careless with my eyes and my emotions? Do I covet what others have? Am I a trustworthy person? Do I follow through on my promise? Is there any hypocrisy in my life? Maybe with that question, it's like, how much hypocrisy is in my life? Maybe it's not an optional thing. It's how much? In Christ, we are called and empowered to live consistent lives of faith. We are called to fight the good fight, to press on and to keep the way. And when the going gets tough, just remember, Jesus is the one who is our strength. Jesus is the one who goes before us, and each one of us have Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, help us realize that the journey of faith is a marathon, not, not a sprint. Give us the courage and energy to run the race well and to keep faith and to lead others along the way of salvation. Lord, if we don't have you at the center point of our life, may today be a day where you, where we open up ourselves to you. 
Maybe we surrender fully to you. Maybe we invite you into those areas that we haven't let you there before. But may you come into our lives and live through us. Give us strength. Give us cleaning. Make us holy in your image by letting you come to work in our lives. And then let us live in this world, keeping your way through your power and your presence in our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.